Hello and welcome to the Animation Communication Podcast, your source for discussion about animation, film, fandom, and more. So please join your host, I Love Kim Possible a Lot, or KP, and Lauren Kizich, the Abbey Roadie, for today's discussion. If you like what you hear, please remember to support by giving a like, a follow, as well as subscribing to the main I Love Kim Possible a Lot channel on YouTube. Spread the word and keep being a part of a great community. This episode is appropriate for all ages. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Animation Communication Podcast with your hosts, KP and Lauren, a.k.a. the Abby Rody. Uh We do have a, a quick little uh, headline in animation news uh, to bring to you today. Uh, as of today's recording, so this will date it, it's going to be May 27th, uh, HBO Max has launched and so go watch some looney tunes cartoons because that is the new animated content that uh brand new animated content that is being uh heavily pushed on the service right now until uh more shows basically are dropped and um which will be coming in the, in the next couple months or so um but yeah it's a it's a really exciting to see uh, hbo max and on all that they're uh, providing, uh, but yeah, go go watch some Looney Tunes. They, a lot of really talented people worked really hard on those um, incredible cartoons. Yeah, I'm glad they're they're doing something with Looney Tunes where they keep on trying to do stuff with Looney Tunes because ever since like maybe the 80s, like Disney has always had the upper hand as far as just getting their stuff out. And now, like if you're my if you're my age and or Lauren's age, because we're only a month apart. Um, you probably remember Looney Tunes, like, in your lifetime from Space Jam. And it's, that's not, like, <laughs> stop. <laughs> stop. So, um, if you're, if you're not, if you haven't been exposed to the classical Looney Tunes shorts, um, and, or, I think the new, the new stuff is more stylized to, to the classic stuff, right? Yes. It's, it's drawn in the, uh, in classic, I want to say, like, 30s and 40s style of the Looney Tunes. So, uh, I guess you could say pre-Chuck Jones and, and his stylistic approach. <laughs> okay. So, like, so you can keep on telling your friends that you're trying to get to listen to this podcast, that not every animation thing ever is made by the Walt Disney Company. Thank you. <laughs> so, oh God, I remember one time when I was, when I was, a, when I was in high school, um, I was in Color Guard, which is, like, the flag twir- twirling BS thing that they, that they give to anyone who wants to. And one of the themes for the the, the show is um, was was Prince of Egypt, which I was ecstatic about because Prince of Egypt is one of my favorite movies. I made a meme about it two weeks ago that I sent to Lauren, and then the announcer was like, when they were announcing the thing, they were like Disney's Prince of Egypt, and I'm like, no, that's not correct. So if in, in in other times I've gotten into fights with people that are just like, why isn't Anastasia on the Disney princess line? And I'm just like, because she's not a Disney princess. And they're like, but she looks like one. And I'm like, that's not, it's not what, that's not how it works, man. So now she's technically one because Disney bought Fox. But before that, she, she wasn't. So, you know, I don't, people need to educate themselves. Um, I think I'm done. Okay. Yeah. So that that concludes our little headline here. Uh, and now time to segue into our guest for tonight. I hope you enjoyed my Disney rant. My mini Disney yeah, rant. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, today uh, we have a very special guest, uh, one of my good buddies in the industry, and he has run the gamut with Disney, Warner Brothers, you name him. He, he's an incredibly talented storyboard artist, an illustrator, a character designer, and he's, he's got a lot to say. So uh, everybody meet, everybody meet <laughs> Chad Fry. How are you doing, Chad? Hi, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> good to hear. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> he also has a really cool beard, I'll add that. Yeah. <laughs> like, when we were doing the headshot... Um, or I was, we were signing the headshot. Lauren's like, no, we need to have the beard. It needs to be more like, <laughs> so you'll, you'll get that soon. Because every, you know. every one of our guests gets a, a headshot, uh, oh. basically done in, in an art style. And, and we wanted to do a little something, uh, green eggs and hammy for you. So we got you a, a green eggs and ham avatar. <laughs> oh, sweet. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So uh, really happy to have you here, Chad. And uh, how are you feeling? I'm all right. 
it's uh, been a little weird with all the lockdown, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, the whole industry's had to, like, adapt to this, you know, you know, working from home. And actually, what's good is it seems like animation's been doing really well, actually, in the middle of quarantine, because, you know, with live action on hold, animation's been steamrolling ahead. So... <laughs> Mm. Yeah, we we has predicted that um this will allow like more like non-traditional um like women with very small children and stuff like that to enter the industry because they can now or they're hoping that there's more of a, sh a permanent shift to working towards home. But I'm just like, we'll see what happens. I'm sure studios want to save money by like not having office space, but I'm not sure. Like I'm the last person to ask if that's practical or not. So. <laughs> Well, we all have to pay for our own office space, so if we're working at home. Yeah, <laughs> it's fair. No, no, no in-office snacks that are paid for by the company. <laughs> we are the company. <laughs> That's right. I eat a lot fewer snacks now. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> when they run out, they run out. Yeah, it's 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 you know another just just another Costco run or something. <laughs> You can't can't send the PA to Costco. You got to go yourself with your mask. Yep. <laughs> All right. If only I could afford a PA. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Lauren, I'll let you lead since uh, it's your contact, and I will ask questions. And <laughs> be rude as they come up. Yeah, go and ahead. We'll, never, we'll only get through half of them, and it'll be great. Yeah. Okay. So, well, to start off, because I have some questions here lined up for you, uh, but let's go with the basics here. Like, what for our? We have a lot of uh, young listeners and a lot of you know uh, people who want to get into the industry or are young in the industry, uh, or you know want to get into it. So, uh, what is a storyboard artist, and what is the responsibility <laughs> of a storyboard artist? Well, all right. Uh, I think we can talk for the next half hour about that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> doing storyboards is basically, uh, plotting out a whole show or the movie and drawings before it gets to animation. So the storyboard artist has to, you know, they work with the, the writers, the directors, um, and, uh, sometimes they have the, uh, audio recordings of the actors already, and they're basically plotting out camera moves, um, if there isn't already set design, they're they're kind of designing sets in a rudimentary way, um, all to plot the action uh, for animation, uh, which is much cheaper than actually animating it and figuring it out later. So it's kind of like creating the blueprint for the final show. Yeah. I was going to say, how much say in creative say do you have as storyboarders? Because, I mean, you visually have to steer what's going on. So how much say do you have in that? Uh, that all depends on what production you're on and how the individual productions want to work. Um, I've been on a, I was on a movie once where we were just given script outlines, not actual scripts. So um, I was actually writing all the dialogue um, and working with a team of storyboard artists. It was mm. great because there was a lot of chatter back and forth. and We were talking about all kinds of stuff and a lot of that would feed into the story. Um, so there was a lot of freedom on that one. But more typical is that you have a pretty strict script and uh, your production wants you to stick to what is actually in the script. Um, sometimes you can make suggestions for dialogue changes because writers are not always totally thinking of things in the visual. Um, so sometimes you can cut dialogue and sometimes you can change dialogue to pertain closer to what's happening in the visuals of the scene. But all that usually has to go through your director first. You know, you can't just make changes and not tell anybody. You have to get them approved. So it depends on the production. You know, I, last thing I worked on, um, things were pretty tight, and I had to pretty much stick exactly to the script. Yeah. Um, with very little external input on making changes. Um, and it's, I mean, that's fine. I don't mind working however they want to work, but sometimes it's just better for the story if you can let your your storyboard artist makes suggestions that will help the flow go a little bit better that's not always thought of when the script is being written. So it is a, it is a visual medium, so it, there's got to be a little bit of back and forth right. to make it exactly the way it should be um, for the final to look good. So. 
but you work you work as a team so it's not just one person you're you're working with lots of people right and it all has to be on model no <laughs> yeah exactly oh yeah goodness if it was all put onto one person no way we'd be losing our hair well that, that also depends on uh on the production as well so yeah. some places don't care if it's exactly on model other places uh do i think sometimes the, the thing that's most important when you're storyboarding is making sure size relationships yeah. between characters are are on model even if their actual look is not necessarily perfectly on model so, right but, it has to be identifiable enough that you know who is who on the screen yeah but i i worked on a i, I did some storyboard revisions a long time ago on um on a mickey mouse clubhouse mm-hmm. and the board the board artist i was uh revising stuff for um he drew mickey and donald at two different sizes uh, well, we, everybody knows what Mickey and Donna look like, so there's no problem distinguishing between the two. But they're actually the same height. So <laughs> one, one of the things I had to do is go in and transform all the height to be equal between the two of them. So um, oh that's what I that's what I mean by the size relationships. You got to make sure those are accurate in your mm-hmm. boards, um, especially if you're dealing with CG characters uh, later, because uh, there's no fudging that. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's all fun, but it's, you know, various challenges come up uh, any which way you look at it. So, Yeah, I was going to yeah. say th- there's a whole process in creating storyboards and, you know, having to get them reviewed. So how about go through the process of creating a storyboard and maybe even if there is a little bit about the approval process and what it takes. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, like I said, it usually starts with a script um, and uh, on some shows that are have have their pre-production down a little bit better, um, you'll get the uh, audio tracks from the actors as well. Sometimes it's just scratch uh, tracks. And if people don't know what scratch tracks are, that's just when somebody else, maybe somebody who just works in the office, goes into the recording room and, and records some of the dialogue uh, as, they, as the directors wish. And then later it gets recorded for real by the uh, actual actors. But um, having that, helps as well because the vocal performance really changes uh, how the physical performance is going to look in a, even in animation. So, um, but I'd say half the time I'm storyboarding without any vocal tracks at all. I just have the written word on the script page. Um, so then you have to imagine all the attitudes and everything. But the way it starts is with the script and then you're going to rough it out. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you draw out some of the more um, key moments. You don't necessarily make it all smooth yet. Um, and they can be really rough, uh, depending on how your director wants it to look. Um, but because then you'll show it to the director or a storyboard supervisor um, who will then uh, give you some notes. Uh, and you might do another rough pass. Um, you might just alter the rough pass you already have. Uh, but once they like your rough pass, then you got to go in and do all the extra drawings that you're posing everything out a little bit more, making sure everything is a little more uh, on model as, as the show dictates. Um, and uh, this is when you're going to put in some tones, you know, to shading tones, uh, if it's necessary for storytelling, uh, all that. But that's something, too. The boards are usually done in black and white unless color is a specific story point. Mm. Um, because uh, storyboard artists, we're not, we're not actually designing the film um, but what we do informs the other steps in the pipeline. So um, sometimes background design has already started, especially if you're on a series and there's reused backgrounds and stuff. So you'll board based on those. But other times, backgrounds don't exist, and you're kind of coming up with how they might look like in a very general way. And then a layout designer is going to come along and, and design the sets uh, after you. So um, like I said earlier, you know, there's a lot of, back and forth to make sure everything starts getting done in a good way. So most of the character designs are already done in advance too, so you have those, um, except for not necessarily miscellaneous characters. Sometimes those background characters don't exist until the board artist is putting them in. Right. Then later later the character designer will go and design them or they'll figure out pre-existing background characters that they'll use. 
So I'm pretty sure that's how of... you get a lot of Easter egg char- characters in the background is a board <laughs> artist somewhere is just like, you know, it, it, that's why we, you know, with KP and I, we kind of will have more or less a, a connection with the, the whole My Little Pony fandom. And so with uh, with uh, yeah. a lot with the fandom, with it, they've always been about, you know, who are these background characters? Because it seems like the board artists had like a crazy time, just like they not only made new characters, but then they made like a cameo characters so you know rick and morty showed up at one point in the background as ponies and uh, <laughs> you know you had uh, uh I, I even had at one point there was a an episode where it was all about background characters suddenly being brought to the forefront in a one-off story and there are oh. all these visual gags that i'm like i can only imagine the, the storyboard artists were just having a heyday with it pardon the pun nice yeah <laughs> yeah 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 seriously <laughs> Yeah, that that can happen uh, for sure with uh, storyboarding. You come up with little visual jokes, little visual character things, and uh, those things can become bigger things later. It, it might inspire somebody else down the pipeline and doing something even bigger. So, yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, that no, that is really cool. And uh, and you mentioned like everything being done in black and white except for color. And I guess that would segue into uh, programs or materials. Like, what would what do you use or recommend using for storyboarding? Well, when I first did storyboarding, it was always on paper. Um, obviously, that's changed a lot in the last uh, really in the last twelve years. Yeah. Um, when Cintiqs became. Uh, a lot more user-friendly. Um, then all of a sudden, the studio started changing over to to digital boards, which I prefer, quite frankly, um, because you can resize and really get to play around with your composition a lot more than you could when you were just trying to work it out on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Photoshop is what I use mostly. Um, okay. Yeah, there's... Uh, so far, I, I know a lot of places use the program Sto- uh, Storyboard Pro, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but uh, so far, wherever I've worked, uh, I haven't had to use that. Um, but I, I see that mentioned a lot now in job listings. So I've played around with it. When I was on Green Eggs and Ham, it was on my computer, but we used Photoshop on that show. So oh, really? I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, because they used uh, they used Flicks as a organizing program for mm. all the storyboards. So uh, on Green Eggs and Ham, I was the uh, revisionist for season two. And when you use Flix, it'll save the Photoshop files with all the layers into the system. And then somebody like me comes along and I can open it up and alter layers instead of dealing with just flat artwork. So um, that's just how they chose to do it. But I know other shows that Warner Brothers were using Storyboard Pro. Um, but uh, I'm not sure. Boy, when I boarded at Disney, it was all on paper still, so that that was pre-digital. Mm. Um, but I, I've worked at independent studios like uh, Splash uh, Entertainment out in Woodland Hills, mm-hmm. and we used we used Photoshop out there as well. So. Um, yeah, see, to all the even, artists out there, you can do it. If you have Photoshop or <laughs> any of those programs, you can do it. You don't need you don't need Storyboard Pro right out of the gate. It's okay. You can do Photoshop, no. Photoshop, and and Fire Alpaca, any of those programs, really. Yeah, it, especially if you're doing your own project, do whatever you want. You know, mm-hmm. um, but you're I, your own boss. <laughs> yeah, but I do think the industry standards are both Storyboard Pro and Photoshop. They're both um, probably used equally as much out there uh, in the industry. Mm. So, no, that's yeah. good to know. There are some places that want you to storyboard in Flash. Really? Um, yeah, I I had been asked that uh, for uh, production at a particular studio. And they do a lot of their shows in Flash, and they were asking their board artists to work in Flash as well. And um, I, I don't know Flash... I, I actually don't enjoy working in vector because I like to draw. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, and I know Storyboard Pro is, is a vector-based program, but it lets you draw. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't do the, the Flash show. I think, too, though, that sometimes when a, when a studio wants you to board in, in Flash, in a way they're kind of using you as a animation key artist. <laughs> Um, so they're trying to get two jobs out of you at once. Um, 
uh, because they can just take your flash files. They're already on model because you're using the models. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they can just go and animate in between your, your storyboard drawings. So I think that's kind of the benefit that is for a studio. Not, not so much a benefit for the artist, but it's a benefit for the studio. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, with um, how often have you had to Because, uh, I mean, there are animatic people and animatic editors. How often have you had to do animatics with your own boards? Oh, I I never have uh, when I'm working for a production. You know, obviously, if I'm coming up with my own thing on my own time, then, yeah, I do my own. But Okay. Or or I'll ask an editor friend to help me. Um, but uh, but not in-house, I, I never have. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, it's funny you ask that because I, when I played around with Storyboard Pro and, and I, I, I was using it in my spare time to, to learn it. And um, I saw how you can really create your own animatic in there with moving dialogue and cutting and even putting camera moves that previously you'd only see that in a real editing suite. Um, and uh, I asked... Uh, I asked one of our editors on Green Eggs and Ham. I was like, so you've worked on shows before that have storyboard pro? And he goes, yeah. I said, what do you do when the storyboard artist has worked all this editing stuff into his drawings in Storyboard Pro? He says, well, I import the drawings, throw out all that stuff, and I do what I want. (laughs) (laughs) So, So if a show is making you do your own editing when you're a storyboard artist, um, probably good to, to go talk to the editor and find out what it is exactly that they need uh, because, you know, no use in putting all that time into it if, if they're just going to throw it out. So, yeah. <laughs> so, well, it's good re- to but really, well, we have to think about editing when we're drawing. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're not editors, you know, that's not what we're trained in. There is a certain art to that. Um, so it, but it, it depends. It depends on how a studio might want to um, want to be economical mm-hmm. by ha- by having people do multiple types of things. But uh, but I don't know. Editors are good at what they do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, and I was wondering because you know with all of your many projects that you've worked on over the years, uh, what were some favorite scenes or moments, maybe even sequences? Uh, that you got to board. Um, before we go into that, can you like name all of his projects so people like know? Yeah, I was gonna oh. say okay. So <laughs> just to, just to name a few, like we've already talked. You've worked on Green Eggs and Ham for season two, which yes, there is a season two coming. People, if you haven't seen yeah. any updates from that, it, yes, season two is greenlit and it's and it's happening and it's yeah, it'll that, it'll happen. And that's public. In, that's public information. We're not yeah. revealing anything new and saying that. So right, otherwise, exactly. I, that's I what probably will have. People wearing dark suits coming to my door tonight uh, <laughs> to, to get after me for that if we were revealing any secrets. Yeah, <laughs> and, but well, you and uh, and Chad has also worked on uh, Mulan. He's worked on Tarzan, Emperor's New Groove, Atlantis, Treasure Planet. Uh, he yeah, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. We talked about uh, actually, and and uh, you've also worked on Scooby Doo and Guess Who, uh, La La Loopsie, uh, stuff for Zuzu Pets. Uh, you, so, I mean, you've run the gamut on a whole bunch of stuff. So. <laughs> Yeah, and and keep in mind too, I do several different things. So so I haven't been a storyboard artist on all those projects. Right. Just some of some of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say because you were like a character designer with Scooby Doo as well, right? Yeah, as a freelancer, I, I did some character designs for a couple of episodes on that. Um, I think Steven Silver did most of the um, caricature uh, character designs on it, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I think they had somebody else doing character designs for some of the other cartoony characters. Mm. So, yeah, but there were there were a bunch of people on that show. <laughs> yeah, and you were a revisionist also on Animal Crackers, right? Yes, which uh, I saw today um, on Tony Bancroft's uh, Instagram feed that uh, it's coming to Netflix this year. So. Really. Wow, that yeah. news just broke, huh? Uh, I just saw it today. Uh, wow. Yeah, he, he he made it public. So there you go, guys. Um, I know yeah, that so. for for anybody who has been uh, ab- kept abreast of uh, Animal Crackers, uh, if you know Tony Bancroft from Disney fame of Tom and Tony Bancroft, the animators uh, who worked uh, the twin brothers who worked together at Disney. 
uh, Tony, he directed this movie called Animal Crackers, and it's a gorgeous-looking movie. I, I'm so excited to now know that we were seeing it, and I <laughs> went through it went through distribution hell pretty much, as if anybody was uh, kept you know kept up with the news on that that it was a, a long, long battle to get it released outside of I think it was China. It was released in China initially. And they were hoping to release yeah. it everywhere else. But, uh, yeah, there was a whole mess uh, trying to get it to be distributed elsewhere. So now we got it. Now we got it on Netflix, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's the joys of independent filmmaking. The distribution was, <laughs> was really messed up, yeah, trying to figure that out. Yeah. So I had I had nothing to do with uh, with any of that business side of it. I was, I was just working with Tony on uh, uh, doing storyboard revisions for the film when it was uh, – boy, we did that in – 2015 it's been done for a while i think yeah. the movie was finished in 2016 sometime wow so yeah and it yes, was it was trying to get out there <laughs> yeah and i've seen it it's really i really liked it i thought it was a beautiful film especially when you consider it was an independent film it, it's it's really uh, top level for for what you see independent films uh, that come out so it's uh, i'm happy i'm happy to have worked on it and i liked it very much yeah yeah. I'm glad everybody will finally get a chance to see it. I guess with, yeah, especially when Netflix took a chance with Klaus and had like major success with it. Uh, this yeah. is really, this is really, really good news for Animal Crackers, which um, if I recall, that was, uh, that was also animated out of Spain, correct? Out of a studio in Spain? Yes. Yeah. It was done in Spain. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's great to see Netflix uh, backing up these projects and going like, yeah, let's give you, let's give you guys an audience and, and Animal Crackers more than deserves it after yeah. all of this. And it's just like every time I'd see it on my, on my, on my Facebook or Instagram feed, anything of it, <laughs> it was like, I was always so excited to see it. It was one, it was, I think the only panel I wanted to go to the first time I ever attended CTN in 2015 was the Animal Crackers oh. panel. But, uh, but I didn't have a pass to get in. And even when I, and even when, oh. and actually our, our buddy Rick, he tried to get me, <laughs> he tried to get me into that panel uh, with a guest pass and they still wouldn't let me in. <laughs> it was like, what? Uh, I know <laughs> it was uh, that. And I was a, I was a very sad panda. I'm sorry. You know, there was a public screening of it uh, out in Calabasas a couple of years ago. Oh, and uh, I think the auditorium was more than half empty because nobody really knew about it. So uh, I would have been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, that's how I saw it actually was at that screening. So, oh, yeah. man. Yeah. So I'm yeah. really excited to hear that. That's great news. Wow. To hear that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> You know, a little interesting trivia. I believe the Animal Crackers, even though it's coming out now, um, it was the first time that our two leads had worked together, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, who, of course, are husband and wife. Yes. And, I mean, A Quiet Place came out already, and I know they're working on the sequel to that, but I don't think they had worked together um, on an actual project That's until they were recording for us. So Yeah. Yeah. And they did it together, which was fun. I, I was in the recording room watching them go at it. It was, it was usually you don't see actors working together for animation, but they did. And it, it really pays off in the, uh, in the film. There's a lot better interaction, I think. That's really cute. And yeah, yeah. I remember the headlines talking about animal crackers being their first one to work on together as a, you know, yeah. as husband and wife. And um, yeah, it was just like, and then I saw quiet place, you know, queued up right there, and then it made it to the U.S. <laughs> cinemas first. And I'm like, oh come on! <laughs> Animal Crackers had that title yeah. first. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, technically, it was released in China, but I I don't know if it was dubbed into Chinese uh, over there. Oh, yeah? I, I have no idea. If, I don't know if they used the American voices or not when they showed it in China. Oh wow. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's got a terrific cast besides them, and there's a lot of other great people in it too. So, um, they they really uh, put a lot into it and in getting good people involved. So, it'll be fun to see. Yeah, one yeah. of these days, Lauren, we have to do a, an episode about like casting for indie films. I think that would be interesting because like, oh yeah, mm. you know, it it depends a lot on the actors' like preference, you know. And sometimes you can get away with getting like big people on indie stuff, and I'm like, how? But how do you do it? So. <laughs> <laughs> Very, very it's called, sneakily. It's called money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, though, something I learned a long time ago is that um, you never get anything if you don't ask. Yeah. 
So if you have a way to an actor's agent, uh, it doesn't hurt to just ask. And I don't know, you know, I'm not privy to the knowledge of how actors were acquired for a lot of the projects I've worked on, but um, sometimes they work for scale. You know, sometimes they do it for a favor. Sometimes, you know, you'll see big actors' names on an animated film, and maybe to them it was only one day of work. Mm -hmm. So for them it was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it for a few thousand bucks. It's one day, no big deal, and they don't have to get into makeup or costumes, and then you get a great voice in a, in a project, you know, uh, and it didn't cost you as much as you might have thought. Mm. Um, a lot of people, especially if they have kids, they want to do this kind of stuff too, so... Um, you never know. It never hurts to ask. That's that's the point of it. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Was, uh, sorry, KP. You oh, um, I was just gonna see, ask you what the next question was, but did. <laughs> <laughs> so your question was to ask what the next question was. <laughs> huh. I mean, you can talk more about your your Disney stuff. I'm, I'm always down for that. <laughs> my dis, my Disney stuff. Um, Any fun stories? Well, my first job in animation uh, in Hollywood was was working um, at Disney Feature Animation on Mulan, and uh, I was man, I was just a kid in the candy store because there was <laughs> there were at that time um, everybody that was part of the animation revolution in the '90s was still there. Mm -hmm. So, um, and there, these are all the names of people that I. Um, that I had admired when I was uh, coming up through the ranks and trying to trying to find my way into Disney. So it was thrilling to, to be able to work with people like, you know, like Glenn Keane and Mark Henn. Uh, Mark is still there, thankfully. Uh, Eric Goldberg, uh, Russ Edmonds was there then. You know, it's like all, all these people were, were there. And um, it was just terrific to get to be there and walk the halls with them and see their work in the dailies or you know, the development artists that were working there. I mean, that's how I met uh, Peter DeSev for the first time as he was working. He came in-house uh, for a week to work on Treasure Planet, I think. Mm. And, um, and uh, man, I was a big fan of his, and I, I heard he was in the building for a week, so I went up and, and bugged him. <laughs> you know? um, but there were also uh, some of the not to be disparaging to use the term old timers, but some of the old timers were still there. Like guys like Joe Grant, who mm. had been involved in designing stuff for Snow White. Wow. Um, wow. He was working there. Um, uh, there was uh, Vance Gary was still there who had been a storyboard artist in the days of Walt. Um, there, there were people like that that were still there too. Um, a lot of them have passed away since then, of course, because that was, well, I started working there in 1997. So, mm. um, but, uh, but, yeah, so I got to work with those people and around those people, and I was there for the tail end of the, the glory years of 2D animation, and, and it was just thrilling for me to, to be part of that and to, to watch all that happening around me. So, yeah, Joe Grant, he was the best, though. Oh, man. Um, he had a, a real old-school um, approach to uh, working in animation. But he also, I don't know how he was with other people. I, I think I've heard stories that are similar, but he was very encouraging to me because he knew I wanted so badly to get into production work. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he was constantly uh, try, trying to be a mentor to me uh, without me even realizing it until after I was gone, you know. Um, sometimes uh, he, he would use it because I was working there as a teacher of computer programs. I was there to help show artists how to use the computer for artistic purposes because that was all kind mm. of new back then. I think when I started there, Photoshop was in its first version. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So there was programs like Photoshop, and then I was also learning a lot of the in-house software and was there to teach artists how to use that. Um, and Joe would call me and go, hey, Chad, I, I'm having trouble with my computer. Can you come up and show me something? So I'd, <laughs> I'd go up to Joe's office and... Okay, we talk about his computer for a minute, and then he says, "Well, I got this idea here." And he says, "Yeah, why don't you take a look at this and uh, see how you can expand on that?" You know, and he would give me little uh, homework assignments of sorts, um, which I absolutely loved, and I, I I loved him so much, you know, that I was happy to to do all the. It was it was like um, 
Daniel in the Karate Kid who who had to go fix the porch, yet he didn't realize he was learning karate all at the same time. So that's kind of what it was. Joe was teaching me uh, design and storytelling without me fully realizing it at the in the moment. So it was great. No, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I, with the, you were there at yeah, literally the best time to catch yeah. everybody there. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and actually, I was going to say, uh, KP, your one of your favorite movies is Treasure Planet. <laughs> so yeah, um, I didn't want to bring that up because then the whole <laughs> podcast will be about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, about three or four years ago, I went on a camping trip in the middle of nowhere in Russia. Mm. And I know, I know that's a weird story to start with. but uh, <laughs> No, I'm intrigued. Tell more, but, please. <laughs> yes, but what was even stranger, there were only a couple people in the group who spoke English. Um, so they were always translating what people wanted to say to me uh, in the middle of nowhere. Um, but of all the crazy things, uh, somebody came up to me and asked me if I could draw them John Silver from Treasure Planet. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, I, I did post that drawing on Instagram. Uh, and it just, I took a photo of it in the, there in the, uh, in the woods. But uh, <laughs> of all the things in, the, in this remote location in Russia, somebody asked me for a drawing of John Silver. That's, uh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone go and watch it, Treasure Planet on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm glad it's there. It's weird. Everything I ever worked on at Disney is currently on Disney Plus. So, yeah, and what? I guess word has come out with, uh, you know, with the the live adaptation news from, especially because you worked on Atlantis, that there was the live action adaptation of Atlantis coming. What do you, how do you feel about that? <sighs> <laughs> I know um, everything's getting a live action adaptation these days, but <laughs> I, well, and you know, M Mulan. You know, being the first one I was a part of, that that's already done, I guess, and just waiting for release now. But mm -hmm. um, I I guess it makes me feel old. It doesn't feel like <laughs> it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. But for stuff that I worked on to already be getting remade, I thought that was supposed to happen like 50 years later, not 20 years later. <laughs> yeah, um, it really wasn't that long ago. Because I mean, no. I I remember seeing it in theaters when I was a kid. I was out in Palm Desert when I saw it. I, I saw it at uh, at the Mary Pickford Theater out there. That's what I remember. It, that, that clear as day. So it's just like wow. it just does not feel like that long ago. <laughs> yeah, it's it really wasn't. But here here we have it. I guess they're making money with them. So you know, <laughs> the thing with Atlantis though is that um, the story guys really came up with a lot of really cool stuff and because of the cost of animation um so much stuff got cut out of that film because it just mm. was impossible to um to really be able to afford to make it um so there i remember there were great sequences that were in story and uh i don't know i don't know if they really cut so much out after animation but um there were things that i wish had stayed in the story um so that there's a lot of meat there that I think a live action movie could probably do justice with. Mm. Um, and it also would be different enough from the animation that, um, that it, it would just be another product, not necessarily a, a full on remake, I guess. So yeah. it's just a so new we'll way see. of saying it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the part of the thing with animation that I love so much is the artistic style and Mm -hmm. That's some that's something especially there towards the end of 2D at Disney that was being done every movie had its own style. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. Atlantis, boy, what a gorgeous film that was. Mm -hmm. Um kind of riffing on uh Mike Mignola's comic book style for that and and Mike even was brought in to do some uh design work um after they had already started on the film. And um and for those of you who don't know Mike is the creator of Hellboy in the comic mm -hmm. books. Um so uh, it really had his unique look to it. And uh, that was such an interesting approach for animation. I thought it really worked well, especially with that story, especially with those submarines and stuff. Oh, it just looked fantastic. Oh, yeah. So. It seems like uh, it, it around that time, as the 2000s were rolling around, um, 
it it was cool to see these films with a totally it was still it still felt disney yep. but it was still like a new look a new aesthetic st- stylistically to each film that felt yeah. like you're here's the new millennium and here's our new style which i thought was really cool it was and with atlantis and treasure planet coming out of the gate way more mature uh in, yes. in terms of story and way darker uh, especially Atlantis, but at the same time still being so immersed in fantasy that you're just like, yeah, I'm here for the ride. I love every second of it. It was, yeah. Uh, yeah I, it was I, very cool. And so, I, uh, every once in a while, I, <clears throat> I'll do drawing events, you know, where you go to a school or, or doing something at a children's hospital or something and drawing. And um, it was like two, three years ago. I did mm-hmm. one at Walt, Walt Disney Elementary School. Not a, not associated with the company. It's actually a school here in Burbank named after Walt Disney. Mm. And uh, and most kids come up and they'll ask, you know, oh, draw me Mickey Mouse or can you draw me Ariel or something like that. This one kid came up and he says, draw me the Leviathan from Atlantis. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like, I'm sorry. I, you know that wasn't drawn in the movie, right? That was CG. <laughs> It was CG with a 2D overlay. Yeah. yeah, I think that that comment went over his head, but he he was like, "Well, I and I'm I don't have data on my phone. I don't pay for internet when I'm roaming around." I said, I, "I'm sorry, I can't look it up." And the, the kid says, "Oh, no problem." And he pulls out his phone, looks it up, and says, "Here you go." So, so 20 minutes later, the kid got a version of the Leviathan. And I think I think I only had time for like two more kids after that. So. <laughs> That's a kid that deserved to be at Walt Disney Elementary. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. This kid knows what's who, up. <laughs> yeah, who, who, what third grader knows to come up and ask for the Leviathan? Atlantis? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and that was before Disney Plus, so he had to have yeah. had a copy at home somehow. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> or like the, the one of those, uh, the, the silver platinum or diamond edition or whatever edition of those dvds it was <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah I'd, we'd, I'd have to look up if they ever got to like the the odd stepchildren as far as those like atlantis and treasure planet and like home on the range if they had like 25 anniversary dis- editions for this thing that the studio doesn't like to remember so <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah home on the range that was the last one i was a part of there so how how was it on the production team with that movie? Um, that that one went through a lot of changes. Um, I mean, it's no secret. It, it, it originally was Sweating Bullets, and <laughs> and uh, under that title, it had a completely different story. So, um, uh, I don't know. I I mean, I always loved the style of that film, mm-hmm. um, but it kept getting in different directions until we got what we what we ended up with so um i love westerns and i was excited to be a part of a animated western in the in my capacity at the studio but um mm-hmm. uh, but then uh since that was the last one for me i it was it was weird because that was the first time i i had to you know i left and then i had to be invited back for the uh, crew party and and that's when i finally got to see how it turned out so um, yeah, it's, it's, it's different. I, I, I wish that there were elements from the original story that could have been kept and cause there were, there were things about that, that, um, I think got some of us excited. So, cause you yeah. know, Slim and Slim and the Willies, they were originally going to be ghosts. Really? And I, and I always thought that would have been a very cool way of telling the story. They were kind of like that ghost riders in the sky song oh um, awesome yeah they they were they were still cattle rustlers and stuff but they were ghosts and i thought that would would have been a really interesting approach to uh telling the story and it would have been really fun in animation so yeah i, I was because it's funny because yeah you can tell there was there was like there was promise there for their characters and, and just imagine like pushing that into ghosts would have been like that would have been a whole other thing like especially when you can't catch a ghost and they're rustlers. So how do you work around that? That makes it uh, brings up whole other questions. So it's, well, it's uh, which I think is I think, actually, that adds to the fun of it. <laughs> I, I I think that was actually the question that came up in executive meetings and was part of their demise. <laughs> so <laughs> how 
How do you catch a ghost? Well, I don't know. They figured it out in you, Ghostbusters. I was just going to be like, yeah, <laughs> call Ghostbusters. It's called Danny Phantom. That's right. The cows cross the streams. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to know what that means exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. It was fun. It was fun, really fun to be there no matter what we were working on. So, Yeah, and, and also yeah. I, I, my personal favorite, just one more, is that uh, Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> that's one of my absolute favorites. Oh. <laughs> Please, if you have any stories of that production. Uh, <laughs> I know that... it went through that its own changes. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, every once in a while, you know, that documentary they made shows up on YouTube uh, mm-hmm. called The, the Sweatbox. The sweat box. Yeah, <laughs> that was... That was pretty accurate. I'm not actually in the documentary, um, but I was in some of the meetings that were filmed that are in that. So mm. uh, that that was that was definitely an interesting journey. Um, again, another movie where the way it started was a completely different story. In fact, I think most people, if they listen to the soundtrack, they're like, "What are all these songs?" Well, <laughs> those were all songs from the original movie that mm-hmm. never got made. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Especially with Sting, yeah. he he was supposed to have way more songs in it. So, yeah, it was fun uh, watching progress screenings along the way because Sting actually had recorded all the demos originally. So, mm. um, those are what we would hear in employee um, progress screenings. But um, then eventually for the album, they had other people record them. So I was going to say, didn't like Sting like Rage quit after eventually <laughs> like they weren't doing the original storyline? Uh, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not in the know on that part of it. <laughs> so he still he still wrote that opening song that's in the movie that Tom Jones recorded, so. mm. which is a great opening number. I mean, again, that's one yeah. of my absolute favorite Disney movies, and especially because yeah. it was so tonally different from every other Disney movie that preceded it. It was because it came in like this is a straight up buddy comedy. With yeah. adult jokes and fourth wall breaking, and it just like it didn't care, and that was what was fun about it. And even acknowledging oh, yeah. its own flaws, that's still one of my favorite gags is the where where Isma and Kronk fall in the river, and then they somehow end up at the lab before uh, Kronk and uh, before uh, Cusco and Pacha get there, and Kronk's <laughs> just like, by all accounts, it doesn't make any sense how we did that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it it was a lot of fun. Uh, that. That movie answers the question: What if Disney made a, a Looney Tunes cartoon? So, um, and it was it was weird because uh, when it came out, and I don't know if you remember this, but when it came out, um, it really didn't do that well in the theaters. Um, and uh, and most people discovered it when it came out on home video and and DVD. Mm. Um, so it took off after that. People would you know I heard about you know, teenagers getting together for watch parties at people's homes for it and stuff like that. Um, so I was glad that it finally got an audience, but, um, I, I do, I do think part of the problem, I don't know, I'm sure that everything's on YouTube these days, right? So (laughs) if you see some of those early, um, trailers for it, Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I don't think the trailers helped very much because, uh, I recall, our impression when they showed us the first trailer in dailies one day was that it gave all the punchlines to jokes, but it didn't have any of the setups. So it didn't look very funny in the commercial. Mm. You know, if you don't have a setup, then what good is a punchline? So um, it's the punchline serves as a nice, so here's good storytelling technique. The punchline serves as the, uh, as the delivery of, uh, as the surprise for what the setup was. Mm-hmm. Um, so if all you get is the surprise, you don't know that you were supposed to be scared, you know, at, at first. So, um, so that's what the first trailer did. And, and I think a lot of people saw that and they were like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I forget, forget what came right before that, but probably something way more serious, uh, mm-hmm. than, than that comedy. So I, it wasn't something I think people were expecting from Disney, Yeah. but boy, more than anything I've worked on, that's the one that most people have told me they like a lot. So that's, that's very cool. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it was with, uh, yeah, with the whole marketing of the, of movies like that. It, it, I, I, I say, I call it Iron Gianting because of what uh, happened to Iron Giant in that yeah. movie, which fortunately it got its following 
in later years. Oh, yeah. now. It's like a highly acclaimed movie. Uh, but the marketing did not do it any service at all at the time. And so uh, and that's just a shame. But it's again, it's always good to see when the, the right followings come in, you know, over time and soon it, it gets the recognition it deserves. And with yeah. Emperor's New Groove, I'm really happy for that. Well, you know, if, if Emperor's New Groove hadn't gotten that audience on home video, um, I don't think, I mean, remember there was the Emperor's New School TV show that came along afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I don't think they even started talking about that until all of a sudden they realized the home video was taken off like hotcakes. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, and then that show lasted quite a while. Um, yeah, it lasted like two seasons. Was it, I was mean, it only two seasons? I think it was, no, it was more. I think it was like three or four seasons. I, Actually, yeah, really? I, quite a while. Yeah. Okay. I thought, I thought maybe, because most Disney TV animated shows usually are only three seasons, but I thought New School went for more than that. I couldn't yeah, be mistaken. I'm I think it went it. for about four seasons. It it yeah. ran for a really long time, and that's a long time for Cusco to be back in school, but... <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I was I was done in four years too. I was done. <laughs> he had he he went through his four years of high school. <laughs> That's right. He's all caught up now. Good boy. <laughs> um, Indeed. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, um, I see that it, it, you know it's getting uh, closer to your time. I don't want to take too much of your time, but I do have oh, one. Oh no, no, it's all right. You're good. We can keep was, going. Yeah, I'm I good. Was gonna, I was going to say I did have a question. Uh, I don't know how much you can disclose about uh green eggs and ham but uh how about your first impressions of the the first season that came out oh uh it's funny i i work on these things but i don't necessarily have the channels that they air on so um i did see two finished episodes of season one and other than that the rest of them i saw while i was on the job as uh, storyboard animatics and uh, I thought I thought season one was really a lot of fun. Um, some very funny stuff. Um, I think my favorite character was uh, John Turturro's goat. Um, <laughs> yes. Man, when when I saw that, even just in animatic form, I was sitting at my desk laughing out loud. So um, <laughs> I I couldn't wait. To, I, well, I guess I still have to wait because I haven't seen that episode in its finished form. But um, but yeah, uh, season one was was kind of a surprise. Um, you know, prior to this, most Dr. Seuss stuff were either single movies or mm-hmm. or television specials, mm-hmm. or or then you had like the Wubbulous World of Dr. Seuss, which was a puppet show, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you didn't really have something like this, and and it while it was Seuss, it didn't, um, and and I don't think Dr. Seuss himself ever truly talked down to children, um, but so much in animation for TV does, and I think Seuss was more or, or green eggs was made for more all ages and um i know my nephews and uh my sister watches it with her kids you know and she she enjoyed it um even my mom sat there and, and watched some of it and was laughing so um i really i was really proud of it uh even though i didn't work on season one i i'm i'm excited for people to see season two now when whenever the team gets finished with it so yeah you adopted so, yeah. it <laughs> what's that I said you adopted it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so yes, I'm a proud parent. Uh, I guess I should say I'm, I'm more of a proud uncle to season one, um, <laughs> since I didn't have anything to do with its birth. But yeah, but season two is gonna. I can't say anything specific about it, of course, but it's right. it's gonna be a lot of fun. There's there's a lot more uh, fun surprises. Um, the writing is uh, really snappy, and um, I, I think. Uh, you asked earlier about a favorite scene that I've worked mm-hmm. on. Probably it's in season two of Green Eggs and Ham. So um, I wish I could oh. tell you about it, but I can't. So oh, yeah. I'm excited now. Thank you. Thank you for that. We, we got a little bit. We'll, we'll take that. <laughs> you have my feelings on it, but I can't tell you any specific things about the yeah. story. That's, that's, that's better than nothing. <laughs> and so... Yeah, uh, so. And so I guess uh, that's a great note to actually uh, close on with one, one more final question. Uh, yeah. What advice do you have for young artists who may want to pursue becoming storyboard artists? Uh, do it, you know, uh, especially with the way technology is so accessible to everybody today. You, Most kids who 
desire a career in animation have access to things that they can work with, you know. Um, so uh, even and even if you don't have a, a computer, you can still draw storyboards on paper. Nobody says mm-hmm. you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, paper still exists and pencils still <laughs> exist. So um, it's definitely old school, but they're there. But yeah, just just keep doing it and practicing and watch whatever you can about it because uh, storyboarding is not something you see a lot in, in print. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of our work, you don't really, people never truly see what we exactly drew. They'll see the end result after teams of people have worked on it. Um, I think, I mean, there there are some books on storyboarding. I know there was what Paper Dreams was one that John Kmaker wrote about Disney storyboarding from the old school days. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll see small snippets of them in some of the art of books. But uh, something that really alerted me to what storyboarding could be um, was the Beauty and the Beast laser disc, mm-hmm. which I believe they put on one of the um, Blu-rays or DVDs. So it's it's out there in that format too. But uh, what they call it? They, it was called Beauty and the Beast Work in Progress, I think. Mm. Um, and it was it was a story animatic. It really was. It was. If you haven't seen it. You definitely got to check it out. But it, they showed you the entire movie with sound and dialogue, but it, it, it was done with storyboards. Some of it's rough animation. Some of it are final shots. Um, but it's basically kind of how we would see an animated movie um, halfway through the process. Um, we would have screenings like that in the studio um, where we would see the progress of the uh, of the film, and it was like exactly like that. It would be storyboards, some some of its rough animation, some of its finished, uh, some of its in color, um, and uh, and you can really get a good sense of what storyboarding is by watching uh, an animatic like that. And that's one that was released publicly, so you can definitely check that out on some past release of Beauty and the Beast. Hmm. So. But other than that, it's it's kind of tough. I mean, you'll see little clips here and there sometimes from people putting on YouTube. But um, but if you can find a story reel like that, then uh, watch it and just pay attention. And a lot of it is really understanding filmmaking. You know, when you're watching movies, live action movies, don't just and this is key for storyboarding people specifically. Um, don't just watch the story and be entertained by it. Sit there and analyze it. Where was the camera placed? Why was that important? Um, if the camera is moving, if it's shifting a little bit, if it's handheld, or um, if it's a huge pan or a big pivot or any of those things, why was it done that way for the sake of storytelling? Because every one of those choices is a storytelling choice. And that's what a storyboard artist has to do. We, we're not just interpreting directly the acting that's on the printed page of the script but we're we're making it as cinematic as we can because we have to think of it through the eyes of a camera mm-hmm. um, and that's that is a one of the biggest parts of uh, storyboarding is working that camera knowing when you're cutting from one shot to another um, what are the benefits of that um, it's a it's a really it's complicated it's very complicated because um, you have to think of lots of people's different jobs all in the one job you're doing. So mm-hmm. um, so keep all of that in mind if you want to be a storyboard artist. It's not just drawing pretty pictures on paper. It's it's being a filmmaker and, and doing what makes sense uh, with sequential art. Um, the drawing you draw in this, in this frame has to somehow go along with the drawing in the next frame you know it, they're not standalone they go together mm-hmm. so that's um that's something that that new people sometimes don't think about too is the consistency of one drawing to the next and how they work together all of animation is working together whether it's making the story work together but you're working with lots of other people um be you know, you got to be open to other people's suggestions and direction um and uh, not not feel precious about every little thing that comes out of your hand. So, yeah. yeah. Solid advice. <laughs> it's a lot of advice. Uh, trying to make it concise is uh, 
I mean, they, they have whole courses in school these days about storyboarding. So it, it's a very broad subject. But um, but if there's uh, something you can take away from our discussion today, then, then great. Um, hopefully it inspires some people to want to get into the business and make things even better than they are now. Yeah. Here's hoping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Chad. Yeah. It was an absolute pleasure to have you. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. This was this was fun. Yeah, we're just we're just kind of sort of starting. So this is like our like like thirteenth ish episode. So we'll probably uh, I'll probably send Lauren to bother you for contacts like eventually. So <laughs> prepare your body for that. <laughs> okay. Wait a minute. Prepare my body. <laughs> like a football player contact or are you talking about something else? And um, <laughs> It's a meme. It's basically just get ready, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry. It's not anything like that. <laughs> All right. Very good. <laughs> I'll explain that if you explain to me what a laser disc is. Oh. Well, if it's KB. any consolation, I may own laser discs, but I've never owned a laser disc player. <laughs> by, by the time I was ready to get one, they were done. <laughs> Laser, laser discs are really big DVDs. Okay. So like record player, <laughs> like records, right? Yes. Records except they're video. Okay. <laughs> there you go. And, and they were double-sided. So, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I'm just imagining like this projector with like a, like a, a, rec- like a big recording like thing in the middle, like from school, but I'll, I'll look up pictures. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just picture a DVD player that's three times the size. Okay. Yeah. You connected it to your television. Okay. Yeah. That that probably yeah. makes more sense than just like try and project it. That was the step between videotapes and DVDs. I did not know there was a step until today. See, I'm learning stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> it's honestly, there's still stuff that were on some of the Disney laser discs I have that they never put on DVD. So I wish mm. I had a player. I'd like to see some of it. Maybe no. maybe that could be like a good charity thing. We'll like once once I'm at it, once I'm back in California, me and Lauren can go to like some yeah. Goodwill stores and be like, we're gonna get this on YouTube. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this: uh, if you had a laser player, that was the last time in the United States you could have gotten Song of the South. Oh yeah, interesting. It was I didn't a, know that. It was on Laserdisc. Yeah, it was on Laserdisc. So there. <laughs> maybe maybe someday, but <laughs> someday, yeah. If they... If they even make one anymore, that don't. Where can you buy anything like that except at a flea market? Yeah, e- pretty much. E- eBay is yeah. friend. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, eBay, eBay is the world's flea market, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll let you. We'll let you go, uh, and then oh, we're. You know, if, yeah? if you don't mind, there's one thing I I forgot to mention. Oh yeah, he's got to plug the thing. Yes, yes. Yeah, please, plug, I got plug, I got something plug. to plug. <laughs> I'm uh, currently I'm working with the Society of Illustrators of Los Angeles as the chairman of their uh, Illustration West 59 uh, art competition. And uh, we just launched it uh, recently here in uh, May. And um, I got some amazing people that are that signed up to be judges for us. Uh, Drew Struzan, who did uh, movie poster illustrations like Indiana Jones. Mm. Uh, Mike Mc- Mike McNola, who we talked about earlier, the mm-hmm. creator of Hellboy. Um, Jason Sealer, who's an amazing uh, illustrator of books and magazines and album covers. Um, he did he did Times Person of the Year cover at one mm. point. Um, uh, C.F. Payne, who's done many children's books and magazine illustrations. Uh, Kadir Nelson, another amazing artist. Uh, he did a cover of National Geographic not too long ago, and he's got artwork in the National Gallery in Washington, D.C. Wow. Um, uh, Claire Keene, uh, mm-hmm. who, you know, her grandfather... Was Bill Keene, who created Family Circus, and her dad is Glenn Keene. She's an amazing children's book illustrator and uh, did production design and stuff for movies. And uh, I have um, Susie Hutchinson, the art director of Mad Magazine, mm. and uh, Charlie Kochman, who is a, a creative director at Abrams Books, and um, Justin Gerard, who is a beautiful fantasy artist. Uh, mm. Boy, his stuff is just amazing. So. That's my my judges panel, and um, wow. 
we're really thrilled that deadline for uh, entries is October 31st, and you can just find it by going to illustrationwest.org. Yeah, so. and and uh, yeah, and uh, we'll make sure we'll have a, a link available to that as well. Uh, Very cool. So that way we can share that with people. So thank you so much for plugging on yeah. here and, and promoting that. And so we'll, we'll hopefully we'll get some listeners uh, piling in on that as well. So <laughs> I, I do have a follow-up question. Are there certain prompts oh, yeah. that you're doing that people are submitting? Or is it just like a free-for-all where it's just like, you know, just draw anything and we'll judge you? Like, how is this oh, well, process there's, going? There, there's categories. So uh, it, it is open to anybody, uh, students, uh unprofessionals and professionals, but there are um, categories. So a lot of categories deal with published work. So the stuff has to have been published, uh, whether it was for advertising or magazines or books or things like that. There's There are a couple of unpublished categories. I think there's a gallery category um, and there's a self-promotional category. Um, and then there's also specifically um, student uh, categories and there are scholarships. Mm. Uh, there, there are there are scholarships uh, there, in the student there's category. There's free money. <laughs> there's there's free there's yeah there's money for three there's three different prizes that have money for students. So, um, so yeah, there, there's when when you go to illustrationwest.org, uh, you can see the categories listed there and figure out uh, which of your work uh, fits into one of those categories. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Glad I clarified awesome. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. That's a good question. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Uh, let, thank you so much again for joining us tonight. And uh, yeah. we're, we were so excited to have you on board with us. And uh, yeah, and we, we look forward to this, uh, seeing what the competition brings on your end uh, as well. Yeah, I, I could cool. listen to animators ramble about old projects I still care about, like, for hours. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, two, I'm just glad two. something I worked on you still care about. So that's that's important. I mean, that's the good thing with Disney marketing and, you know, Green Eggs and Ham <laughs> in general. So, <laughs> Indeed, indeed. <laughs> we'll do story time part two at some point because we'll just make a story time podcast. <laughs> yeah, half yeah. our guests, we keep on saying, like, oh, we've only hit the surface. We'll have them back sometime. And then we're just like... <laughs> Look at this new person. So we'll, we'll figure it out. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for having me tonight. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah thank you so coming. much. And yep. Uh, no problem. Thanks. Good luck at your animation guild meeting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to Animation Communication on YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. We are really hoping this show makes a difference in how people view animation and media, as well as giving and providing advice for people all over the world who like or want to join the animation or media industry. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe and rate those five stars, as well as tell your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our main YouTube channel, I Love Kim Possible A Lot, and turn those notifications on. My name is Scribbler, and you have been listening to Animation Communication.